Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles, we pray you'd open our hearts and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Amos is the shepherd prophet we've been looking at, and uh, he's someone who has uh, been, uh, we're getting slightly familiar with him now. We know he was, as well as a shepherd, he was someone who took care of, care of grapevines. He was someone from the south in Judah who went north with a message. Uh, the nation of Israel was divided up north and south. The south was Judah, the north was Israel. Uh, it's it around about 750 years before Christ. So that gives us a bit of a time scale. Uh, Moses and the start of the nation of Israel in the land began around about 1500 BC. So we're getting a, a bit of a, a picture here of the time scale, the time frame, and what was going on around that time. Now, the title for the message is Ungrateful People, looking at chapter three of Amos. And the message really, to sum it up, is like this. Listen, people of Israel, take note. After all I did for you over many years, you've done me wrong. And there are now consequences. The lion has roared. Disaster is coming. But there's still a chance for people to be saved. So hear this and respond. Now, 750 years later, Jesus came and he said to us, those words on the screen there from Mark chapter 4, consider carefully what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So if you come to God listening and you have a, a kind of little, tiny little cup of thimble or something like that, well, that's not so good, is it? As if you come with a bucket or a giant tub. Now, what's in your heart this morning? Is it to come to God with a little tiny thimble? Or is it to come to God with a giant tub? Say, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear from you. I hope it's the, the tub rather than the thimble. Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Now, in this uh, chapter, we see the first thing is the instruction and the reminder to listen and remember, listen and remember. And we're looking at verses one and two of Amos chapter three. God is saying, people of Israel, I have chosen you. I've chosen you. Verse one, hear this word, people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. So, in effect, what the Lord is doing is saying, remember what I did for you. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery. Now, the Exodus, if you remember, was a, a massive event. I'm sure we've all heard of the Exodus, maybe seen films about it, cartoon films, old classic films about the Exodus. We've read about it in the Bible, heard sermons on it before. It was a massive event. It was hugely formative in the history of Israel. And it was a time full of miracles and full of God's grace. God worked powerful miracles to rescue the Israelites from slavery, the plagues that God sent, the, the miracles that God worked through Moses and Aaron. And God also worked a way to forgive Israel for their own sins so that they could be his special people, so that they could have a special relationship with them because the Israelites weren't really better than the, the Egyptians. God chose the Israelites not because they were better than any other nation, but he set his love upon them and he made a way that they could be forgiven for their own sins and brought into a special relationship with himself. And if you remember, the Passover festival began at the first exodus, and that 
festival is now still a reminder of how God provided a strange but effective way to protect the people from the last plague. A lamb was eaten as, as families met together for that last meal time before the day of escape from slavery from Egypt. It was a freedom meal. But some of the blood from the animal, from the lamb, was, was painted around the door on the door frames. So that when the last plague came, people were saved because of the blood. And so Israel had become in this a picture to all the world of how God would save all kinds of people through the blood of a sacrifice. And that, of course, is the blood of Jesus, God's son, the lamb of God, who would take away and still will take away the sin of the world for all those who believe and trust in him. And then, of course, God brought his people, the Israelites, to the promised land. Despite all the grief they gave him on the way, it took 40 years instead of, instead of a few weeks because of the grief they gave him. And here they were now, settled in their own land for, for many years now, enjoying a growing peace and a growing economy. Things were more comfortable now than they'd been for a long time. And the Lord has done great things for them. And they, they should have been glad and they should have remembered and they should have been grateful. They'd been helped so much by God, hadn't they? They'd been given so much. They knew so much. They knew they'd had a lot of the Old Testament written, written already. And they knew so much, but they'd thrown it back in God's face. Despite the appearance of still being a religious nation, despite being a, a nation that would still call themselves the people of the Lord, under the lid, under the mask, there was a lot of corruption and unkindness. And we thought about that, haven't we? Many were worshipping statues instead of worshipping God without the idols that God said you shouldn't use. They'd refused to listen to many, many warnings time and time again. And now they'd passed the tipping point. And that's one of the key messages in the book of Amos. So we've come to chapter three. We've already had this before in these last two or three chapters. Now, God gave Amos nine chapters worth of message. We've still got other chapters to look at. Now, if it was too late, if the tipping point has already been reached in chapter three and before that even, why have we got more chapters to go? It's because there's still hope. It's because the warnings are to wake complacent people up because God still offers hope. There's still an offer of rescue, but people need to wake up and people need to listen. And let's apply this to ourselves. We need to listen to God. We need to remember and we must not be ungrateful. Now, what kind of listener are you? What kind of listener are you? Are you an active listener or a lazy listener? What kind of rememberer are you? I don't think remember is a proper word, but I've, I've made it up for us. Are you an active rememberer or are you a lazy rememberer? Now, I don't mean do you have a good memory. We know that there's one or two men in the church we know of, including myself, who our wives are a kind of living walking diary. So they're part, kind of a, if you like, a, a human beautiful memory stick for us because we'd so easily forget things. I'm not saying do you have a, a good memory. Some of us struggle to remember things. Sometimes it's because we're at that age. But are you thoughtful? Do you care enough to try to remember? There's a difference between someone who forgets and they genuinely try to care and to remember as opposed to someone who can't be bothered who can't be interested but you know whether we have a photographic memory or a failing memory it's really an, a, a matter of attitude isn't it the desire in the heart that makes a difference to god do we want to remember the lord do we want to remember do we want to listen to him 
So when we're listening to people, for instance, do we really care what they're saying? Do we think of our choices? Do we, and do we include others in that? Do we remember the kindness of other people? Do we remember the examples that other people have, have shown to us? Do we remember to be thankful? Are we grateful people? So are we good listening? And are we and do we thoughtfully remember? You know, being good listeners and being thoughtful rememberers makes a huge difference in our everyday lives, but vitally it makes a huge difference spiritually. And listening to God while he's speaking to us quietly, while he's giving us chapter and verse, guiding us, leading us, listening to God before he has to shout or roar at us is so important. So we need active, thoughtful listening with a desire to follow up on what God says. It's so important. Remembering what God has said, recalling what God has done for us is so important too. Remembering Bible verses, learning Bible verses is so good. You children are starting to do that. Fantastic. But again, it's not just learning things by heart, but it's an active, thoughtful remembering, wanting to do what we've learned. Now, the ancient Israelites came to ruin mainly because they stopped doing simple things. They stopped doing simple things like listening and remembering. Psalm 106 verse 21, it says, they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They forgot. They neglected. Not just, they just weren't forgetful. They neglected to remember. They weren't thoughtful. Instead, we should do what Psalm 103 says. Let's be positive. Psalm 103 verse 1 to 4 says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And then, of course, we have the instruction by Paul to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, chapter two, verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Remember the heart of the gospel, Timothy. Never forget. Remember Jesus Christ. So how do you listen? How do you remember? Two key things. And then we see the next thing in the passage. How do you handle truth? How do you handle the truth? And we're looking at verses three to six. Now, sometimes we get to a point where we miss the simple answers. The point where we just miss the simple answers that are there for us. Obvious things. And it's because we, we've got to a point where we can't see the wood for the trees. We've spent so long avoiding truth, avoiding being honest with, with God, with others, with ourselves. Deceiving ourselves and avoiding being straightforward with God. And we get to a point where we can't even give a straight answer to a straight question. Because we've been so used to covering up and hiding and prevaricating and obfuscating and all these things. So verse, verses 3 to 6 in the passage asks a series of questions to retrain our minds to retrain our minds this is a kind of a, a bit of cognitive behavioral therapy here and the questions start basic and they move to a very serious question so the first question verse three do two two walk together do two people walk together unless they've agreed to do so well generally no people don't tend to walk together close together unless they've agreed to it's a bit strange if someone starts a stranger walks up right next to you you don't normally do that so generally no Simple question, simple answer. Verse four, 
Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? I like to look up this because I've not, never really got close to a lion, especially when it's roaring or growling. But apparently, uh, lions usually don't roar until they've spotted their prey. They sometimes roar to scare them into a kind of a, uh, a trap, as it were, but they don't tend to make a noise. They creep quietly until they see their prey. And they growl, apparently, when they're munching away in their den. So lions don't. So people of the day whom Amos was writing to, well, the answer is no, they don't. Simple question for the people of the day, simple answer. Verse five, does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when there is no bait? Does a trap spring up from the ground when it has caught nothing? Well, no, because birds aren't stupid, are they? It won't go down to eat bait when there's no bait. <laughs> and a trap will only spring up when something lands on it, when something sets it off. Straight answers. Answering simply, yeah, good. Simple cause and effect questions. Now, how about a very serious issue now? Verse six. When a trumpet sounds, do not the people tremble? Well, simple answer. Yes. The trumpet is a sound of warning to the people in Amos's day, like when an army approaches, when there's disaster coming. So people will tremble. Yes, of course, when the trumpet sounds, people will tremble. So we've got simple answers to simple questions here. You see how it goes. Now, are you ready for some more? What about when you see disaster hit a city? Verse 6, the second half, says, When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Well, yes, because if God's in charge of what happens to us, then if disaster comes to the cities of Israel, yes, it must be the Lord then. Why will it happen? Why, why would the Lord cause this to happen to his chosen people of, of all people? There must be a reason. There must be because there's cause and effect. Simple questions, simple answers. So are you thinking straight, Israelites? Are you ready to listen and respond to what God is going to say to you next? Are they? Are you? The next thing is this. What do the neighbours witness? What do the neighbours witness? Looking at, looking at verses 7 to 10. Now God speaks first. God graciously warns and waits and God acts later on after a period of time we see this again and again and again through the bible verse 7 surely the sovereign lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants and the prophets so things are revealed before they happen God warns God sends his preachers God sends people with a message before and he does it a number of times God waits graciously and acts later Verse 8 says, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Something's going to happen. The lion has roared. God has been speaking. Simple thing, isn't it? So simple. God has spoken. Something is going to happen. Time might be delayed because God has been patient with you, being gracious to you. But something must happen, mustn't it? If God has spoken. God speaks through his prophets, doesn't he? Yes. Yes, he does. He has. He is. Amos is speaking right now in the time. God has spoken. The lion has roared. Amos is one of those prophets who, who can't help but speak out. But the question is, are you, Israelites, are you going to take notice? It's a simple question. Will you give a straight answer? What about us? Are we going to take notice of what God says? Now, are you ready for the warning? is what this is the build-up are you ready for the warning 
And after all, this is not the first time God has spoken to you, ancient Israelites. You've had plenty of time to hear, plenty of time to remember, plenty of time to react. Will you respond now? Will you listen now? Now, imagine a rough circle of hills around the city of Samaria. The hills around the city, the city was a bit lower down. And you can go up on the hills and look down onto the city, onto the fields around. And God here in this passage calls the, the Philistines from Ashdod, and the Egyptians to come and witness the unrest and the impression and the oppression that's taking place in the city of Samaria, which is one of the main cities, the capital of Israel in the north. Verse 9 says, Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria, see the great unrest, look down, see the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. Now, come on, Philistines. Come on, Egyptians. Look at this tragic scene. Now, these foreigners, the, the Philistines and the Egyptians, they were two arch enemies of Israel. You, you've heard of them. I'm sure the battles that they had with the Philistines, the Israelites had, and, and the way that they had to escape from the oppression and slavery in Egypt. So these are, these are the baddies. These are the, neighbor, the baddie neighbours. And God is calling upon the enemies of Israel now to, to see how God's people, how they're behaving. Now, God's people were meant to be a light to the nations around them. They were meant to be a good example. But instead, foreigners are being called to witness them bringing God's name into disrepute. Now, later on, looking back, Ezekiel wrote uh, in his uh, prophecy, chapter 20, verse 27. So this is after uh, what's going to happen to Israel. And Ezekiel looking back writes this therefore son of man speak to the people of israel and say to them this is what the sovereign lord says in this also your ancestors blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me people who were chosen to be the praise of god and to be a blessing to the nations around have blasphemed the name of god by being unfaithful to him so instead of being a good example to the nations, the scene is, is, is disreputable. There is no witness to God's goodness here, apart from the fact that God has been patient with these people. The pagans see more of the usual rubbish from the chosen people. Amos chapter 3, verse 10. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. And isn't it so terrible for people who are lost, people who need a good example, People who need to hear the gospel, people who need to see a better way, to see a bad, to see bad behavior in Christians, for, for them to be put off the gospel message by bad behavior in the Lord's people. And I pray and I hope that you're praying right now, Lord, forgive me for ever being a bad example. May our work life, our home life, our family life, our life in our streets, amongst our neighbors, may be something that attracts people to the gospel rather than and pushes them away and of course none of us are perfect none, none of us can give a perfect example we all make mistakes but that blamelessness that sense that these are people who are not perfect but they're people of integrity people who are trying to honor god does that come through to our neighbors is this what our neighbors witness In, rather than giving a bad example uh, 1 peter chapter 3 verse 15 to 16 talks about what we should be doing in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now the warnings continue to the Israelites, but what is going to happen about 30 years later is predicted here in verse 11, and it's the Assyrian invasion, the Assyrian invasion, and this took place around about 720 BC, so about 30 or so years after this message from Amos. Verse 11, therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says, an enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. Now the fourth heading is this, there's no condemnation for God's people but consequences. Thinking about us as Christians now, moving away from the ancient peoples of Israel to, to you and me, if we're a Christian, if we're a believer in Jesus. Question, can a true Christian be condemned for their sins? Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the answer is wonderfully and graciously no. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we praise God and we say it humbly, we praise God, no. We know we deserve it. Can a true Christian be less effective and less happy than they could be? Well, 1 Peter 2, verse 11 to 12, well, shows us yes. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So it is possible that if we don't abstain from sinful desires that wage war against our soul, then we won't be living such a good example. We won't be so effective in bringing glory to God. And of course, we won't be as happy as we could be. We won't know the joy of the Lord as we could. And there's lots of other Bible verses which make that clear. So can a true Christian be less effective and be less happy in the Lord? Well, yes. There's no condemnation for God's people. We will not be judged to hell. We will not be judged and condemned to hell. Praise God for that. There's no condemnation for the believer in Christ. Jesus has taken the punishment for all our sins, but there are consequences to how we live our Christian lives. And Amos chapter 3, verse 12 says this, sadly. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only, only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a couch. Now, Amos was a shepherd, as we know, and a shepherd who has a sheep killed on his watch had to be accountable for that sheep, and they will aim to retrieve any pieces to show the owner's proof that, the, that they hadn't stolen the sheep, that they tried uh, to do what they could, that they that they were bothered. Now, there will be some people rescued from Samaria, this, this verse just said, but it'll be a close thing, and people will be saved with, with almost or, and virtually empty hands, and nothing of any use, with only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a couch, bits and pieces, bits and bobs. Now, the question is, is that all that we want from our lives, to emerge with bits and bobs, bits and pieces? There's a serious possibility in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. There's a serious possibility for you and I. We need to 
take stock and be warned. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if we're a Christian, we're on that foundation. There's no condemnation. We're in Christ. Verse 12 says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, that's the day of Christ's return and his assessment of his people, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. There's a, this image of, of, of an assessment of judging. Not a judging for condemnation, but a, a judging for an assessment. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So we can see a Christian will not be judged for their sins to be condemned, to be punished, but we will be assessed for what we have done with our opportunities, whether we have built with, with quality stuff like gold, silver, costly stones, or whether we've gone on cheap, on the cheap, wood, hay, straw, stubble, and so on. Now verse 14 says, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So there's a serious possibility that we could get to the end of our Christian lives and we're still in Christ, but the reward will be minimal. It's as if we've been building with, with the rubbish and it'll be shown for what it is on that day of assessment. Now, if you picture your life like the nation of Israel, remember God never gave up on them. 750 years later, who came? Jesus. It's amazing how the, the, the CSIs tie in with these messages time and time again. Jesus came, didn't he, that first Christmas time. He came to his people, the Israelites. He came to save all Israelites who would believe in him. He came to save, to be their saviour too, didn't he? So God never gave up on the Israelites. And of course, God includes Gentiles too in this great salvation plan of his so god still had a plan for the israelites and god will never abandon those who trust and follow in jesus we are on the foundation which is christ and we will never be lost there's now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus but we don't want to get to the end of our lives do we we don't want to leave with bits and pieces do we we don't want to leave with a, a piece of a, a bed head and a bit of cloth a scrap of cloth from a cat we want to go out with arms of fruitfulness, arms full of fruitfulness. We want to go out with lots of useful things to say, to be able to present to the Lord that we, we've served him faithfully in our lives, done the best that we could. We want the Lord to say to us, well done. You've been a good and faithful servant, don't you? Is that what you want? I hope so. Now, that will mean different things for each of us. So right now, you're probably thinking, well, I can never be as, as um, effective Christian as so-and-so, as, so, as, as sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, because that, uh, who I am, my, my disability, my, my weakness, my, my mental illness, my fragility, I'm not as clever. I can't remember. I can't remember. And all these things we might be thinking right now, because I know what it's like, because I think the same if I'm not careful. So stop now comparing yourself with X, Y, and Z, because it's, it's you before the Lord. Okay, with your opportunities, with your skill set, with your abilities that he has given you uniquely to you. Don't compare yourself with other people. Don't give up hope because you've blown it. And we all have, haven't we, in different ways. The Lord restores the years the locust has eaten. The Lord can take what we have, the five loaves and the two fishes, if that's all we've got. And he can feed thousands of people with them. Don't 
give up because maybe you're getting on in years and think, well, I haven't got long left to serve God. I became a Christian later in life, maybe. And you, you think, oh, I haven't got long left. Or maybe I've wasted years. I've been a Christian for donkey's years, but I've really not really taken God seriously. And you think, well, what's the point? How can I go out with arms full of fruitfulness? It might be the last hour of your working day of your life, if you like. But as in the parable that Jesus gave, serving faithfully in the last hour of your day, the Lord will reward your labor graciously. You look up the parable of the, the pounds and, and how that the, the people have worked just for the last hour. That's all they could. They've been hanging around in the marketplace, in the labor market, and the Lord hired them at the last hour, and they received the same wage as those who've been working all the day. And that just shows what the Lord can do with our lives. So why not right now? Let's just be quiet and let's recommit our lives to the Lord. And then we'll look at the very last short point. Heavenly Father, we bring our lives to you. Lord, we want to go out, Lord, into your presence on that day of assessment with arms full of fruitfulness, with having built with gold and silver and precious stones. Lord, forgive us for the, the wood, hay and the, and the straw that we've been building with at times. Lord, please help us to commit our lives, whether they might be long or short, Lord, to building with precious things, things that will last your glory, things that will survive the, that fire of assessment and that will bring from you those beautiful words. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Hear us, we pray. We commit ourselves to this in your grace. We can't do it on our own. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the last Final short point. Listen, and do you have Jesus? I'm looking at verses 13 to 15. Now, the alternative centre of worship that uh, Jeroboam had set up uh, 200 years later, when the nation of Israel split into north and south, Israel and Judah there, and Jeroboam, the king of the, the northern tribes, had set up an alternative centre of worship, an alternative to Jerusalem in the south, and Along with that was uh, corruption, idolatry, crept in and so on. And it was a, a mixed bag. They, they said they worshipped the Lord, but it was a whole mix of, of pagan ideas. This alternative centre of worship with its priesthood, its system, is going to be destroyed. We see that in verses 13 to 15. What folk had been putting their trust in, their religiosity, their idols, it will come to nothing. The signs and the symbols of complacency and decadence will come to nothing too. Let's read it. Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. The Lord God Almighty, on the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. Now, the horns were literally horn-shaped projections from the corners of the altar. And people were in the habit, when they're in distress in times of warfare and other times of sorrow repentance or regret they would they grab their horns and plead sanctuary or or plead mercy in times of trouble well those horns are going to fall off that ability to trust in that thing is going to end that's into in that religious system that was so full of corruption was going to be brought to a complete end verse 15 i will tear down the winter house along with the summer house rich folk who've got summer and winter homes the houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. So whatever sacrifices were made on the altar, it meant nothing. It achieved nothing. 
And that's because it, it was all a sham, a religious veneer whilst the, whilst the poor people and the vulnerable and the oppressed people were there in Israel. People had a false faith, a, a faith that did not work, a faith that, that used the name of the Lord, Yahweh, but a faith that didn't work because it, it didn't help people. It wasn't real. And if you ripped off the veneer, if the, the creature comforts, the, the summer and the winter houses were taken away, the people had nothing. They had no relationship with God. And this was true even before the invasion. And after the invasion of the Assyrians, it's going to be marked even more. Now, it's been a difficult time in lockdown for us, hasn't it? Not being able to meet. And we've said that time and time and time again, but it's so true. But let's say it was even worse. Let's say if we had everything taken away. Let's say all activities were banned, even online. What if our mod cons were taken away? The, the, the luxuries, little though they, they be. What if they were all taken away? And all things in life that make us comfortable. What if that was all taken away? It would be hard for all of us, wouldn't it? But when it's all taken away, what do you have left? Is it Jesus? The people of the north, when everything was taken away, they had nothing. They didn't even have a relationship with God, many of them. Some did. Some escaped, and we'll come back to that again another time. But generally speaking, they had nothing. When everything was stripped away, they didn't even have God because they had no relationship with him. But if we're a Christian... If everything is stripped away, if we were persecuted and everything was taken away from us, we have Jesus. And Jesus is, when we think about him, he's truly enough. Now, there was a way that individuals could be saved back in the day. Uh, we read later on, God says, seek me and live. And so there was a way of rescue. And also it reminds us, doesn't it, that in Christ, there is a safe place. We thought about being safe in Christ with no condemnation. We thought about building our lives on a solid and secure foundation, a safe place from the final and ultimate judgment. That's where we're safe, with Jesus, having Jesus. We'll be safe when all have to stand before the Lord and give an account. My question is, do you have Jesus? The altar, the religious system of the north of Israel was taken away. It was all a sham anyway. But there is a one-off sacrifice that happened 750 years later. There's a one-off offering that will never lose its effectiveness. And there are riches, spiritual riches, that will never be lost. So don't cling to the horns of a man-made religion. Don't trust in creature comforts. Don't lean upon your own understanding. But instead, trust and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the reminders. Help us to remember them. Help us not to be ungrateful people, but to be grateful for all that you've done. Lord, maybe if we're not yet a Christian, help us to see what you've done, to be grateful for it, and to believe and trust in Jesus right now. Lord, we commit our lives to serving you and to seek fruitfulness to your glory. Help us to build with gold and silver and precious things. Amen.